Good evening, everyone. Isn't it fun to all come and be together? It really is. Welcome to New Hope tonight. Well, I have had the privilege of getting to be over at check-ins. <laughs> I love family reunions. <laughs> I have been having the privilege for the past few months of getting to be at our check-ins over in the marvelous side over there. And it's great fun, not only because I get to greet families and parents and greet the kids, but it's like surround sound over there. I hear the minis, relentless, the marvels, they're, the mighties, they're all worshiping Jesus in their, at their own level. I hear little minis just shouting out the name of Jesus as they're singing songs to him. I hear relentless worshiping like you can't believe. I hear mighty marvels doing, doing the motions with their songs, but totally understanding what they're singing about. And every single one of them I watch, they're all participating. I hear each side in my surround sound position sharing the gospel with kids at their level and youth at their level. They're understanding what it means to know Jesus as their Savior. They're understanding what it means to walk with Him. I am so grateful for a church that makes possible ministry to our kids and our youth. I'm so grateful for a church that makes possible a partnership with families as they raise their children to know Jesus as their Savior. Thank you. So tonight, as we give, as you prepare your offering, as you prepare your tithe, remember this, and I feel like this is a word from the Lord, remember that your giving has a purpose. It has an eternal purpose. It isn't just about receiving offering as part of the service. It's about worship to him. It's about partnering with him in the kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity tonight, not only to give and be a part of what you're doing here at New Hope, what you're doing in your church at large, but Lord, thank you for the opportunity to once again say to you, thank you for being our provider. Thank you, Lord, that you own a cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills, and with you nothing is impossible. I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage each person here tonight. Lord, we want to be faithful givers to you, understanding that eternal things are happening among us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless this offering, Lord, in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Lynn Sawyer. Pastor Lynn, thank you. Hey, so tonight we're continuing in our series, Potential, and if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and I love this passage because it makes total sense when it, when it comes to, uh, especially here in the islands, because we love food, and not just here in the islands, but I think in general, wherever you go, you're going to have different flavors of types of foods. Uh, you have spicy foods, you have uh, like soups, you have, well, here on the island, we have a whole mix of food because we are like the melting pot of the Pacific Rim. So you have all different kinds of people uh, having different restaurants and different ethnicities, different flavors. But one of the, one of the key 
components of our church, part of our DNA, is something that we call SALT. And some of us have these t-shirts, SALT, which stands for serving and learning together. And part of this, this uh, serving and learning together idea is that we never arrive at a certain place that we would ever say, okay, God, I am done with learning. We're, we're constantly learning something. And tonight, as we continue this series about potential, we're going to learn about this thing called salt. And not just serving and learning together, but salt as in that seasoning. Because when something of like food, if food doesn't have flavor, normally you add salt to it. Now, I grew up in uh, Waimanalo with my family, and my mom used to make this, um, this one meal called chicken and papaya. I guess that's, I don't know if it's a Filipino thing or I don't know where that came from, but I would always have to go to the school uh, right up the hill from my house and climb over the fence. So children, this was not a good thing uh, to do. I just didn't know. My mom said, there is a papaya tree in the school. Go climb it and go get papayas, but it must be green. The papaya had to be green. And I think the tree grew because for the cafeteria, I think maybe they threw out some papayas and there were seeds in them. And the tree grew. It was healthy. So I would climb the tree and get these papayas. And then I would come home and my mom made chicken and papaya. Well, one night when she made that, I sat down and I tasted it. And I don't know what grade I was in. And I added shoyu. I added shoyu. And my mom stopped everything. She goes, what are you doing? I said, what? She goes, why are you adding shoyu? I said, because it, there's no flavor. <laughs> now, if you ever tell a cook after they have slaved all day, I don't know how long it took her to make this, but that there's no flavor, that's almost like an insult. So I, I just told my mom, I said, there's, there's no flavor. It, it took a while for her to calm down because she kept bringing it up over and over and talking to herself. She was one of those parents that will continue the conversation with or without you. She didn't need you in the conversation because when you're done talking and yelling at each other, she'll just keep going. I can't believe. Put, put show you in this. I, I made it so flavorful. I like the flavor. Everybody else liked the flavor. He didn't like the flavor. I don't know why you, why would you add show you? And then when, when she would pass me, she would say things like, I don't know why you put show you in it. I'm like, mom, this is like day five. Why would you even still bring this up? But I think in, in her mind, she's thinking, this has enough flavor. Why do you have to add any more? And you know, in the kingdom of God and the world, the world will say things like, why do we need God? The world will say things like, why do we need the Bible? The world will say things like, why are you, why are you praying they're already dead? That's what the world will say. They will even say things like when there's a shooting of some kind that our thoughts and prayers are with the family, the world will say, too late. Why would the family want your prayers anymore? That's just the way the world thinks. But when it comes to the kingdom of God and our potential, the Bible says it like this. In fact, Matthew 5.13, it's in your notes on your church app if you want to open that up. Or in Matthew 5.13 in your Bible. It says that you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, we always learn that Jesus gives us worth. 
This is one of the times in the Bible that the Bible will even say we can be worthless. I'm thinking that doesn't sound godly. It doesn't sound like Christ at all. And this is Jesus speaking this. That if you, if you lose your flavor, can you make it salty again? And when you lose your flavor, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. In other words, there is something that happens when we as believers lose our flavor. Something happens when we as believers lose our flavor. But what does that flavor look like? What, is it, what does it come close to? Or how do we learn what that flavor looks like? Because if the Bible says that we are the salt of the earth and I lose my flavor and, I, and how can I make it salty again, I think it's very important for us to learn what it means to not lose our flavor. Because we're all going to have some type of influence in the world and every single person has been given God-given potential. And once we lose that, we can forget the influence we're supposed to have in the world because we've forgotten that God has given us potential. See, I think we all have fears. We have fears about what the world will say about our belief. We have fears about what people will say at work about our belief. We have fears about what people will say even in our very own families about our belief in God. And we don't want to be called names. We don't want to be called hypocrites. But we operate different than the way the world does. See, if we say certain things as a believer, it can be considered as hate speech. That's the direction of the world. That we can be considered as believers when we say certain things, it can be considered as hate speech or being a bigot, which means a person who is intolerant towards those holding different opinions. So we, we, we tend to have this fear of, I have to be careful of what I say, and especially in the world specifically right now with what's happening in the workplace and the work environments and, and all the movements that are happening. It's almost like we have to be so cautious on what we say, how we say it, and who we say it to. In other words, the world is working overtime to silence believers. And we won't even recognize it because it's, it's subtle. And that's how the devil works, very subtle. But if we're aware of it, and if we understand what Jesus is saying to us as being the salt of the earth, then we can become the people that he made us to be and reach our full potential. But how do we, as believers, keep our flavor? Because every single one of us can keep our flavor by strengthening some areas of our life. And we're going to look at three of them tonight. Here's the first area that we must strengthen in our life today. And it's the area of courage. We need courage. What did the lion say in, uh, what is it, Wizard of Oz, right? I want courage. That's what, that's what he said. He needs courage. But he didn't have, he didn't think he had courage. So he, he thought courage was somewhere. But courage is not that there's nothing to fear. Courage is, is acting in spite of fear. That you're going to continue on. Even though you may have some fears. And courage only becomes courage in the presence of of fear. So if there's something that you fear, then that means there's, there is potential for courage. And not an arrogant courage, not a courage that's uh, demeaning or a courage that is, is fake, but a courage that comes from God. In the book of Joshua, God was commanding them to be courageous, be strong and courageous. 
because there were some things that they needed to do that they were fearful of. They had to take over the promised land. But God said, be, be, be courageous, be strong and courageous. And that's God's heart to all of us. He's speaking that to his children, to be strong and courageous because we're the only ones, think about it this way, as believers, we're the only ones who will stand up for righteousness. The only ones in the world who will stand up for righteousness. Not to put others down, not to shove the Bible in people's faces, but to stand up for righteousness. We're the only ones. God calls us to be courageous. And for some of us, I, I, we, don't, we don't want to cause friction. We want to make peace. We want to make sure that people are at peace, that everyone's getting along, and things like that. At the same time, we're going to have opposition as believers. For those of us who say, God, I want to live a righteous life, you're going to have unrighteousness come your way. But if you're living righteously, you're able to pick it out. You're able to discern because God is giving you courage. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, we all want to be a peacemaker. We all want to be a part of the kingdom of God. We, we want to do our very best to be pleasing to God, but we also want peace. We don't want friction. We don't want to ruffle the feathers. We don't want to cause any turmoil or problems with people. And so even as believers, sometimes we shy back from certain things. Sometimes we're quiet in moments. Sometimes we speak up. And I think we try our very best to discern, should I say anything or should I not? You may be in a group of people who always talk about politics and the president, past presidents, uh, those that didn't become president. You have that, those conversations, and, and you want to speak up as, as a believer, but then you don't want to be recognized as that person. And so you think to yourself, when am I supposed to say something? Well, the Bible even tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter, th chapter 3, verses 1 and 7, the Bible specifically tells us that there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. That happens in marriage too. You got to know when to speak and when not to speak. It's very, like, for Heidi and I, we have, we have certain, um, I can share this, yeah, Heidi. Well, you don't know what I'm going to share, so after I share it, you can let me know at home if I should have or shouldn't I. Uh, there's one thing that, that I'm learning, and it is this. Is this a conversation or just listening? Because in a conversation, I can, I can ask questions, I can give answers, but if I'm just listening, then she's just talking. So there are times when she's talking, and I'll say, no, but all you have to do is this, this, and this. And I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. So I ask her, wait, is this conversational, or am I supposed to just be listening? That I don't need to fix anything, right, wives? There are times where you just need to talk things out for 40 days. Or, I'm sorry, 40 seconds. <laughs> and you just got to talk things out, and you just got to get it out of you. And we just need to be a listening ear, just a listening ear. I did that on purpose. <laughs> But sometimes we just need to listen. And what God is saying is there is a time to speak, but there is a time to be silent. And the Bible even tells us to be still and know that I am God. But how do you do that when there's so much talk going on and controversy and, and one group saying this, another group saying this? And, and where do we stand as believers if we're supposed to be the salt of the earth? Well, that's where the discernment comes in. That's where courage comes in. A time to speak and a time to be silent. And there's a way to speak. The Bible also continues in Matthew chapter 10, 
verse 16, Jesus says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And he says this, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, we might read that and say, snakes, we're not supposed to be like snakes. What does that mean to be shrewd as a snake? Well, what the Bible is saying is that shrewd means to be intelligent and wise. In other words, we're not just blabbing things out when there's controversy or people talking about things. It's like I'm saying things that I understand. I'm not just talking about things or just my personal opinion, but I'm basing everything according to the Word of God. Therefore, in order for me to understand what's coming out of the Word of God, I must be in the Word of God. If I'm not in the Word of God, everything that's in me, if it's not the Word of God and it comes out, will just be personal opinion and how I feel not truth that sets people free. So when the Bible says you have, to be, you have to be shrewd as snakes, that means to be intelligent and be wise. Use the wisdom of God. On Sundays, we are in a series, His Wisdom and His Kingdom. And whenever we are in God's kingdom, we're going to need His wisdom. That's why we always say get into the Word of God. We have our resource center. You know, we, we're redoing our bookstore area and we have journals there, Bibles that will help you get into the Word of God, as well as journals that will help you to write down what you're learning. And we have a system that we use called SOAP, S-O-A-P. We'll read, we go through a bookmarker together. We read the Bible in one year. And then we'll, if a scripture speaks to you, then we'll write the scripture. That's what S stands for. And then we'll, we'll write down what we observed. That's what the O stands for. And we'll write down a, a, a key thing that we learned and we observed and then god bless you the the third one is a application how do i apply this in my life well i'm going to write down my application this is what i'm going to do because of what i've learned and then the p stands for prayer my prayer is and then i'll write out my prayer but we we learn these uh, simple systems because it allows us to put the word of god in our hearts the bible says thy word have i hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. That means miss the mark. That's what sin means. It's not necessarily doing evil. It's just saying, Lord, I want your word to be in my heart so that I don't miss the mark when it comes to courage, when I need to speak up and when I need to be silent. Here's a second thing that will help us. It's the area of conviction. Conviction. It's what you believe, your strong belief. What do you believe? Because the book of John was written so that we would believe in Jesus. We need to have some type of belief in order to have conviction. If you just think of God or you think of Jesus, but you don't believe who he is, then you're not going to have any deep conviction. You have some deep opinions, but you're not going to have deep conviction. So when we say, well, I want to have deep conviction, then you must believe something and the question is, what do you believe? Where are you going to take your belief? It was the situation with Martha and her brother Lazarus. And Lazarus had died. And so they buried him in the tomb. And he was in the, in the grave for a couple of days. And then they told Jesus that your friend Lazarus has died. Now, you would think that Jesus would get up and go. But he stayed for a couple more days. And by the time he got there... He had already been in the tomb four days. So now Jesus comes to them and is trying to comfort Martha and Mary. 
And Jesus says to her, you know, he's going to rise again. And she says, no, I know, I know, Lord, he's going to rise again at the resurrection. He's going to rise again. In the, in the end, he's going to rise again. And, and Jesus says this in John chapter 11, verse 25 and, uh, through 27. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He shall live. And whoever, oh, and then he says, do you believe this? It's a simple question that he asked her. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. It's like Jesus had to rewind the tape for her with all the emotions that are happening in her heart, and he had to, he had to bring her back to the main reason why they were having this conversation. And he was saying to her, above everything, I know how you're feeling. And Jesus wept in, at this moment. But he's also trying to draw out her potential of conviction, and he's saying, what do you believe, Martha? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who is to come into the world. She had a strong-held belief. That's what conviction is. See, there is a difference between guilt and conviction because conviction is a strong-held belief. It's, it's something that can't, you can't shake it. It's just you believe it. Guilt, on the other hand, guilt happens as a result of not having deep conviction. Guilt happens as a result of we did something wrong, and now we don't know what to do with it. So we have all of this guilt. Guilt pushes us further from God. Conviction draws us near to God. So if you ever had a thought of, boy, I feel guilty. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to see anybody. Oh, I don't like to see Auntie because she knows and she can pray over me. We have that thought because of our conviction and the guilt, it, it, it signifies that our conviction is not that deep because guilt is now pushing us away from God. And we're saying, I don't, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be around other believers. It, it pushes you away from God, guilt. That's an indication whenever you're sensing that I don't want to be around people. I don't want to go to church because of what I've done. That's guilt. And the master controller of guilt is the devil. He's the master at it. He's in, he's in the control center of guilt and controlling everything about you because of that guilt. And once that guilt sets in, he can, have his, he, can, he can do whatever he wants. Why? Because he's the master at controlling you when there's guilt. However, when there's conviction, conviction draws us closer to God. Conviction says, yep, I did that. Lord, I, I want to do better. Help me to do better. Help me to get into your word. Help me to stay around the believers. Help me to stay in this family, the, the body of Christ. Help me to stay connected. Lord, I will come to church. I will stay connected to the body of Christ. I will worship you regardless of how I feel and what I did because I know I can get better and better as I draw closer to you. And it's not a fake thing to say, okay, you're my crutch, so I'm just going to put it on the side and then we're done, so back to you, Lord. No, no, no. There's a heartfelt conviction and a spiritual connection with God that says, Lord, you've called me to flavor this earth and I don't want to lose my flavor. 
so I want to draw closer to you. That's what conviction does. Conviction draws us closer to God. I remember making a decision based on guilt, and then I was learning about conviction. And it was the night before Heidi and I got married. I, I, this, was, this was like the last time I drank alcohol. And I thought, okay, like bachelor party, right? And I was 19 at that time. And I thought, well, th- I guess this is, this is the time I'm going to drink, and I, I guess I can have fun with it. It's, you know, I'm going to get married tomorrow, so we're celebrating. And I drank, and I was going to church. And as I was drinking, I remember the scripture that says, Uh, something along the lines of, and at that time, that's what I was thinking, something along the lines of, I can drink, but just don't get drunk. The problem with that is, as you're drinking, you don't know you're getting drunk. So by the time I was finished, I was walking home wobbly, and I'm getting married the next day. And so at our, uh, the next day, uh, while we're going to get married, they did a toast. You know how you do a toast? And I'm thinking, I hope this is not champagne, Because if I drink this, then I'm going to feel sick even more. I just remember feeling guilty. I just remember feeling guilty because I did that. And I thought, wait a minute, God, what what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my life? And that was about the time he said, I want want you to get involved. I want you to serve. And I said, where do you want me to serve? And he says, I want you to serve in the youth ministry. And then I thought about it this way. This is where conviction came in. And this is what I've learned in, in guilt and conviction. I, I could have kept the guilt and then pushed away from God and says, you know what, God, wait till I get my act together first, and then I'll start serving. And God says, you can't get your act together. You're going to need me in order to get your act together because you can't do this on your own. So I said, okay, well, how do I do this? He said, you're going to have to make some serious decisions based on conviction, not guilt. See, if I base everything on guilt, I'll go back again to my old habits. If I base everything on guilt because I feel guilty, then I'm going to go back to drinking. I'm going to go back to my old ways. Why? Because guilt wears off. It's just for the temporary being. Then I changed my ways just, for the, just because I got caught. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry because I feel guilty. But conviction was, Lord, you have potential in me. You've given me potential. I want to reach that. So I'm not going to use guilt to change. I'm going to use conviction to change my deep, strong belief in who you are. And because of conviction, I got to make some decisions. And that's the last time I drank alcohol, knowingly. There was one time, and I forget where it was, on some boat or something, and they brought some, like it was like ginger ale or something. And I'm, I'm taking a sip of it, and I'm like, this tastes pretty bad. And I, I don't know how old I was, maybe 24, around there. And, and I was thinking, this, something's wrong with this. And I asked my brother-in-law, I said, is there alcohol in this? And he's on the ship partying. Yeah! And I said, I don't, I don't drink. So that's, that's why I said knowingly. There was this other time that we were at a, a hotel, and someone ordered us uh, smoothies. And they brought it to us, and my children were there. And so Heidi and I, we drank the smoothies, and I tasted it really quickly, right off the bat. And I was like, this, this, Heidi, this has alcohol in it. I look at her, she's done. I'm like, you drank the whole thing? She goes, yep. No, she didn't. She, she, then she, she said, are you sure? I'm just joking, Heidi. Uh, she said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. <laughs> and she goes, let me try. 
So she tried it. She goes, yes, there is. So we told our children, don't drink this because there's alcohol. And of course, my son is like, oh, like try, like try. I said, no, you like die. So no. But that was the last time. And, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because when, when you have a deep conviction, you can justify. You can justify. Even with a deep conviction, you can justify. But why would I want to justify if I'm reaching my God-given potential? If I'm on that road for my God-given potential, why would I want to jeopardize the flavor that God has given to me, the flavor that God has given to you? Why would we want to justify and jeopardize being an influence in the world for the kingdom of God? No one else has that responsibility. That is a great honor to have. And the world paints the picture of if you're a believer, then you're like in a minority. But I do know this. One plus God is the majority. God is bigger than anything we could ever imagine. So when we connect with God and we have this conviction, we don't lose our flavor. We keep salting the earth and adding flavor to the rest of the world. And the last one, not just conviction and courage, but character. When we have character, that adds flavor to the world, and we don't lose our, our flavor. Character. Now, people ask, what is, what is, what is character? And, and, and is character how, what people think of you and how people view you? Well, that's reputation. And there's a difference between character and reputation. Reputation is what others think of you. That's why many fight for reputation. They want to look good in public. They want people to view them in a, in a great way. We see snapshots and highlights of people's lives through social media, and we think that's who they are. But that's reputation. Reputation is who others think we are. We can, we can provide a great reputation through social media. We can make like our lives are looking good, marriage is great, family is great through our reputation. But character is different. Character is, un, is not like reputation. Character is who I really am. Reputation is what other people think I am. Character is who I really am. And that's God's major concern. God's not concerned about our reputation, although it helps, but he's more concerned about our character because character feeds reputation, not the other way around. Reputation will never feed your character. In fact, it robs your character because we have a facade belief that this is my life. Therefore, I don't need to work on anything under the surface or behind the scenes. The thought of a good reputation and a no character says, I can do whatever I want behind the scenes because no one knows, but if I broadcast this as my life, then they think that's my life. That's why how often we see great leaders fall, uh, athletes and movie stars, where everything looks great, then all of a sudden everything starts falling apart. And we think, why did they throw away their life just with that one decision? But if you rewind the tape, it wasn't that one decision. That was the last decision. It started way back here in character behind the scenes. Reputation was what everyone saw, but it was character that was the foundation. And if our character is not, is not strengthened, then it doesn't matter what our reputation looks like. It'll soon fall and crumble. We see that happening with the best of them, and we're not, we're not immune to that either as believers. That's why Jesus was so strong when he said, don't lose your flavor. 
don't lose your flavor. Your character is very, very important. My brother came up from Oahu the other week, and we're just hanging out. He was looking at uh, various places, and, and then he asked me a question, and he's six years younger than me. And he asked this, and I never thought about it this way. He said, it must be hard for you to live your life. And I was thinking, no, it's, what do you mean? He said, it must be hard that everyone's watching your every move, that if you make a mistake, then everyone will know. And I said, you know, I, I, I never think about it that way. Um, and I don't think anyone does think of it that way, except you, my brother, but I, what are you trying to say? He said this, he said, I can live my life however I want and no one cares. Yeah, maybe my family, you know, close people, but it's not going to affect anyone. I can, I can if, I, if I go out partying and things like that, post things on social media, no one says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? No one says anything. But if you were to do that, people would say things. And I said, yeah, first of all, I would say something. Heidi would say something. So, yeah, I don't even think about that. But I think what he was saying is, as believers or even someone in, in a leadership role, that people are always watching us. So I told him this. I said, you know how I think of it? Because I remember someone telling me this long ago. They said, as a believer, people are always watching you. And they took it on the negative. They said, that's why I don't want to go to church. I said, what? He said, yeah, because if I go to church, everyone's going to watch. And if I, if I mess up, then, you know, I'm, I'm considered a hypocrite. I said, you know, that's, that's, to me, that's wrong thinking. I said, here's my thought process. Because people are watching, we have an opportunity to shine our light and to be salt to this earth. Because their eyes are watching, why not represent the Lord? Because their eyes are watching, we have half the battle won. See, you might be thinking, oh, that person, they're just, they're, they're saying mean things about me. They're just nitpicking on me or they're being negative to me. They're, negative things are coming my way. No, you're a light to this world. Have you ever seen a light at night? All kinds of bugs come to you. Yeah, moths and all. They just kind of hang around. They're just hanging around. Why? Because you're an attraction. So if you ever felt like people are coming against you or they're saying negative things, just look at your character and then say, God, is there anything in my character that I could do better? Can I improve in my character because people are watching? Not to please them or to be a people pleaser, but because I want to shine before all men that they may see my good works and glorify you in heaven. That's the attitude we need to have. Not in a negative sense. We have half the battle won because people are watching us because they know we're believers. You don't have to tell someone, hey, watch my life. You don't have to tell them that. They're going to watch your life. They're going to watch everything you post. They're going to read everything you post. Well, be careful every what you post. But everything we do, they're going to watch. And many people are watching not to be influenced by you or to change or to draw closer to God. They're watching that you may fail. That's what they're doing. They're hoping, many people are hoping you fail. They're waiting for you to fail. And when you do, they're applauding. They're saying, yeah, good for you. See, I knew you were fake. I knew this and that. I knew you couldn't do this. That's what they're going to say. At the same time, we have a God that's bigger than our failures. That even though we fall, the Bible says the righteous gets back up seven times. Which means when I fall, I get back up. I don't fall for the same thing over and over. 
If I'm falling for the same thing over and over, that's called insanity. Doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. But if I fall, I get back up, I learn from it, and I change my ways, that's called repentance. That is much different. And that's what Jesus was referring to when he says, don't lose your flavor. Don't lose your flavor. You fall, get back up. Because no one else is going to add flavor to this earth except through you. 2 Timothy tells us, verses 7 and 8, 2 Timothy verse 1, 7 and 8. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either. And Paul is speaking this, Paul the apostle. Don't be ashamed of me either or either, even though I'm in prison for him. So Paul was speaking as a believer, understanding, speaking up for God. He's saying, I'm in prison, so don't be ashamed of me. I'm in prison letting you know these things to not be ashamed of God. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. So what gives us strength? Who gives us strength? God. That's what he was saying. He says, with the strength that God gives you, this is how you're going to live. Don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of it. And then he says, so God is going to strengthen you. For what? For the sake of the good news. God is going to strengthen you and I for the sake of the good news. There is a, 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 a theme right now that our president, I don't know if it was him, but I think it came out from that. It's called what? Fake news. So whether you agree with that or not, I'm here to tell you, don't focus on the world's news. Focus on God's good news. We should be focused more on Jesus than any other news out there. Now, it's not that we're going to remove ourselves from the ways of the world or not being able to reach out to people in the world, but if we're so focused on what's happening in the news and the media, more than we're focused on Jesus, then we've forgotten about the good news. And now we're just waiting for the world's news. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to strengthen you for the sake of the good news because the world needs good news. And you and I have it. The good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, rose from the grave to give us eternal life. That's good news. He paid for our sins. That's good news. He has, he has given us a future and a hope. That's good news. We all have God-given potential. That's good news. And people need to hear that there is good news. And it only comes through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're trying to trust in man that man would get things right. But how much do we need to do as people, mankind, to get things right? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 tells us that this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. See, we lose our flavor when we trust in man, as well as turning away from the Lord. We got to draw near to him. That's the, that's the conviction which builds our character. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 tells us to preach the word. To preach the word. Now you might be thinking, but I don't, I don't know how to preach the word. 
It's, it's just basically declaring. You're declaring the word. You're not up here on a, with, a, with a, a Bible and, and some notes preaching the word, although this is one of the ways. You, you preach the word in your home, in your workplace. You're just declaring the word of God. You're not, you're not standing in the middle of you know, the, the store and, and preaching the word of God. If God tells you to do that, then obey him. But more, more likely, you're going, to be, you're going to be encouraging people. You're going to be using the word of God as your foundation to when you speak words of life to other people, it brings out the best in them. That you're not using it to put others down. You're using it to draw God's potential out of them. You're preaching the word, the life-giving word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. That you're giving Jesus to people. The grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God. You're speaking that into other people's lives. You're loving them so that they can become the very best that God made them to be. And you love them so much that they ask you why. And then you can let them know because that's what God does for me. He loves me. And now he wants me to add flavor to everyone else. See, we live in a world that's flavorless. God gives us the responsibility to add salt to the world. So preach the word. And it continues, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, and with all longsuffering and teaching. In other words, it takes some time to connect with people in order to preach the word. It does take some time. It's, it's, it's going to take some convincing. We're going to have to rebuke or gentle correction. It's another way of saying it, gentle correction. Or exhort, exhortation. You're building someone up. You're speaking words of affirmation. You're speaking words that encourage. But we're doing this because Jesus, Jesus told us that this is who we are. He says, go add flavor into the world. Always be ready. Always be ready. Don't wait till you have to be ready to get ready. I don't think you and I would pick someone up and, and tell them, okay, I'm going to come at 10 o'clock, but we need to be at the, the airport by 1030, so when I get there, start getting ready. Yeah, normally we say, when I get there, and we know who some of the people that we, right, we, we, we tell them, hey, make sure you get ready at this time. Don't get ready when we're supposed to leave. Get ready before we're supposed to leave so that we're ready to leave. That's what the Bible is saying. To be ready in season and out means don't wait for the season to get ready. Be ready before the season, which means always prepare yourself. That's where our character comes in. That's where our conviction comes in. That's where when we come to God, we're saying we, we want to be people who draw so close to you that even if you should whisper, we hear your voice because you are the one who gives us the flavor to be added to this world. I'm going to ask you to close your Bibles and, and put over your notes. I'm going to ask Grayson to come to the keyboard. My encouragement to us tonight as we learn about this potential is to, to keep that character. Have God's, has, have God's character, godly character, and keep learning about his character and who you're becoming. It's going to take some courage, absolutely. It's going to take courage in everything we do. That's why we don't want to lose our conviction, our strong belief in him. It's going to come back to that. I could say the three main areas of all of these that, that was so practical for myself and Heidi was in the area of faith, uh, finances, and, of course, forgiveness. Just to get practical, 
because our faith in God is always tested. Finances can stray us away from God so easily. We forget about him. And even forgiveness. It's easy to forgive sometimes. But it's even more difficult to ask for forgiveness. But if you're going to be the salt to this earth, sometimes we have to start with the basic areas that are probably the most difficult. We're going to need courage. It's going to build our character. But most of all, we're going to have some deep convictions because of who God is. And tonight, what I'm going to pray, and we can all pray this together, is that the Holy Spirit would come into us, which he already is there, but would, would, would bring to life that, that flavor, lest we lose our flavor. And when the Bible says if you lose your flavor, you, you'll be trampled underfoot by men. What it means is if we're no longer salt to this world, the world just runs over us because we don't have any deep convictions anymore. We don't have the character to go along with what we're saying. So it's going to take courage for us to be the salt to this earth. No one has that responsibility. God gives that to us as believers. And what an unbelievable honor it is to be the only ones to bring flavor to this earth. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can not only learn from you, but that we can come to you and learn about character and courage. So can you, can you build that foundation in us that would bring a deep conviction of our belief in you so that when we go out into the world, we can add flavor to the world and that our God-given potential would be released. So we trust in you, Lord. I pray for every single person here tonight that represents the kingdom of God, that we would be people who represent you well in every area of life. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. What it means is we're going to represent a perfect God. And so even with our flaws, Lord, we can add flavor to this world. The salt is not concerned if the salt shaker is a little broken. You can still use a broken vessel to add flavor to this world. So that's our heart tonight, Lord. I pray for all of us that we would be that for you so that people would find you and then they too can become salt to flavor the world. We pray this in Jesus' precious name and we all said together, Amen. So be salt into this world and be that flavor uh, for everyone else so that they can come to know God. I have two things I wanted to share with you. One is, this is in your bulletin. It's for Mother's Day. Believe it or not, Mother's Day is coming up. And I know for moms, it's like, yay, Mother's Day is coming up. But we wanted to do something special for the moms. And it's also a way for you to invite other moms who may not be coming to church. So it's an invitation. Uh, and on the back, there are, there's all the information uh, that they need for the different service times. But we wanted to get this into your hands because Mother's Day is next month. It's a couple of weeks coming up already. So we wanted to uh, equip you for that. The second thing is this Saturday, we have what we call a SALT project, serving and learning together. So if you need more information about that, you can see us at our information center or just grab one of the staff and they can point you in the right direction. Or if you know Chad Koneko, you can see him and then he can help you with that, okay? So just wanted to give you that because we are the salt of the world.